You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hey, everyone. For the next two months, the Pirate History Podcast is going to be conducting a listener survey to help us get to know our listeners, to know you, to know your interests and what you think about the show. It's an excellent way to give me feedback and to support the show. You can do so by heading on over to the short questionnaire at surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave, A-I-R-W-A-V-E. It'll only take a few minutes and it will really help us improve the Pirate History Podcast. There's even a place at the end to tell me anything that you want to. Plus, as a way of saying thank you, you will be entered to win a $500 Amazon gift card. Again, that's surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave, or you can click on the link in our episode notes. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Misfit, David, Torso and Pinches, Matt, Hangman Strain, Shelby, Andrew, Axios, Richard, Hartman, Skipper, The Sextant, Brian, Cap'n Crunch, Roger the Jolly, Vibran, Artemis Killmeister, Carcos, Rotary Coast, M.D., Lost Again, The Navigator, Doc Lindsay, Pitlock, Ward, Workman, Chairboat, Gunsway Sally, Cannon Monkey, Rum Runner, Madame Anita Sparrow, Hefe, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. When we left off last time, William Kidd had just entered his pleas of not guilty on five counts of high seas piracy and one count of murder. The murder charge was a surprise for Captain Kidd. Mostly because I don't think he thought anyone would know about it. You know, sure, you capture a prize like the Quita Merchant and someone might notice, but William Moore, the cooper on board the Adventure Galley, he was just one guy thousands of miles from home. Sailors die all the time. Plus, he was fomenting a mutiny to turn pirate, so it's not like any of his pirate friends were going to sail for England, turn themselves in, and testify against Captain Kidd, right? 
right? This is episode 295, The Trial of Captain Kidd, Part 2. Let's go back to Madagascar, circa 1698. That's when 96 of Captain Kidd's men abandoned the adventure galley to sail on the Mocha frigate under Cutlass Culliford. The Mocha departed with those 96 men, met up with Dirk Chivers and captured the Great Muhammad, one of the largest and richest prizes ever captured by any pirate. When the Mocha returned to St. Mary's Island, the pirates found Giles Shelley waiting for them. Giles Shelley bought a ton of their pirated goods, sold some of his cargo, and agreed to take a number of men back to America with him. Among those that sailed with Giles Shelley to America were Joseph Palmer and the former surgeon on board the adventure galley, Robert Bradenham. Those two pirates, relatively well off by this point, smuggled themselves into Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was weird, as far as the large American port cities went. You know, Pennsylvania was not one of the territories governed by Lord Bellamont, and it was already something of a, an independent-minded colony. They were mostly Quakers, going all the way back to William Penn, so they were none too fond of the Puritans up in Massachusetts. But they also had egalitarian, abolitionist, and free speech ideals. So that's all great. When it comes to pirates that chose to settle down in Pennsylvania, though, they had kind of a snitches-get-stitches rule. Nobody says anything to the authorities. They were still pretty religious. You weren't going to find kill-devil dens filled with women of ill repute around. But if you had some money, you could start a farm, start a family, and build a relatively nice life for yourself in Pennsylvania. That was the plan that Joseph Palmer and Robert Bradenham had, but they didn't last very long in Philadelphia. They were picked up almost immediately by coastal authorities, and... I'm having trouble actually figuring out what happened here. They may have just been arrested normally. You know, they got caught. But they also might have turned themselves in, in an attempt to secure the king's pardon. I've got differing accounts on this. Either way, once they were in custody, they were offered a deal. If they agreed to turn king's witness against William Kidd, they would not have to face punishment for their piracies. When we return to the 8th of May, 1701, in the courtroom at the Old Bailey, those two men, Joseph Palmer and Robert Bradenham, were waiting in the wings to testify against Captain Kidd. Before they could do so, though, the court called a new jury. The previous jury had been a grand jury, there to validate the charges against Captain Kidd, which they did, and then went off to eat all that fancy food up in the gallery. The new criminal jury was a regular 12-man jury, and Captain Kidd was given the option to contest any of the jurors, but there was no jury selection process as we would understand it. Captain Kidd didn't know who any of the jurors were, so he had nothing to object to. 
The prosecution then read the charge against Captain Kidd to the jury. It reads, quote, William Kidd, on the 30th of October, on the high seas, did assault William Moore on board the ship called Adventure, whereof William Kidd was captain, struck him with a wooden bucket, hooped with iron, on the side of the head near the right ear, and that he died the next day, so that he, Kidd, has murdered the same person. If we prove him guilty, you must find him so. End quote. Then they called Joseph Palmer to the stand. Now, the transcript merely tells us that Palmer and Bradenham were called into the courtroom and sworn in. There's no drama in the text, but I suspect that there was in the courtroom. For Captain Kidd, I think this would have been a major shock. He almost certainly did not know that they were coming. Remember, the prosecution had done everything in their power to ensure that William Kidd was unprepared for his trial. Remember, the prosecution did everything in their power to ensure that William Kidd was unprepared for his trial. They stonewalled him at every turn. They kept funds away from his team. They kept him in solitary confinement, away from his lawyers, until the night before the trial. I would be amazed if anyone had told Captain Kidd about these two witnesses. And if they had, I think he would have managed to come up with a better defense than he did. To stack the deck even more against Captain Kidd, the two witnesses, Bradenham and Palmer, well, they were both clean, shaven, combed, well-dressed, well-fed, well-rested, and even had a touch of perfume. William Kidd, on the other hand, was wearing rags that were rotting off his body. He was covered in lice and fleas, and he smelled so bad that he had to stand in that bed of fresh herbs. Now, we could go over all the back and forth between William Kidd and the two men there to testify against him, but it gets pretty repetitive after a while, especially since we've talked about William Kidd killing William Moore already. And nobody here is denying that William Kidd did it. Everyone admits that that happened. What the prosecution had to prove to get the conviction they wanted was that William Kidd acted with malice aforethought. They had to prove that Captain Kidd decided to kill William Moore and then carried it out, not that he was acting in the heat of the moment. They had to prove that it was not manslaughter, but murder. The whole argument here that they were making in the courtroom goes into when and how things were said. They talk about tone of voice, you know, was William Moore belligerent or composed when arguing with Captain Kidd? The prosecution is trying to prove that William Moore was cool as a cucumber, while William Kidd decided to kill him anyway. What it really all boils down to, though, is whether you believe William Kidd or Joseph Palmer. According to Joseph Palmer, Captain Kidd approached William Moore on the deck of the adventure galley. He begins to berate him out of the blue, and William Moore is like, Whoa, chill out, bro, it's all good, we can talk this through, but William Kidd beats him to death. Captain Kidd would tell us that he was trying to convince the crew to turn pirate, to 
attack a Dutch ship that the adventure galley sat about a league away from. Captain Kidd, when cross-examining, Mr. Palmer asked, quote, Was there not a mutiny on board? Palmer replied, There was no mutiny. All was quiet. Kidd, a little flustered here, said, Was there not a mutiny because they would go and take the Dutchman? And Palmer said, No, none at all. Now, this is a question we can't really ever know the answer to. Was there a mutiny or not? All we have to go on, as far as hard historical data is concerned, is the word of Captain Kidd versus Joseph Palmer. And both men have something to gain here. Captain Kidd is fighting for his freedom, his life, his good name. Joseph Palmer was competing for just the same things, those promises that the prosecution had made him. So he and really the rest of the crew had it in their interests to argue that Captain Kidd was a vile, monstrous, murderous tyrant. A man who so terrified them that if they were to step even a little bit out of line, they thought really might kill them. If they could convince the jury of this, their piracies might be seen as something engaged in against their will. They were just God-fearing Englishmen under the whip of this monster. Now, personally, I absolutely believe that there was a plot on board the adventure galley for some of the crew to go a-pirating. But was it a mutiny? I don't really think so. It was disobedience, absolutely. It was obviously illegal, and what they were planning to do might make Captain Kidd look like a pirate. He had good reasons for them not to do this. But I don't think... At this point, there had been any hard plans to overthrow Captain Kidd. Those plans, it seems to me, probably only took root after Captain Kidd killed one of their crewmates. But that's only half the question. The other point of extreme importance here was whether or not Captain Kidd, when he killed William Moore, did so with malice aforethought. Did he plan to kill William Moore, or did he do so in a fit of passion. Joseph Palmer testified that Captain Kidd was calm, collected, and cool when he beat William Moore to death, not full of, you know, violent passion. But that was not what he said back when he was deposed almost a year ago at this point. Shortly after Joseph Palmer was picked up in America, he told his questioners, quote, I was not upon ye deck when ye blow was struck, end quote. And he believed that, quote, Captain Kidd, in a passion, struck his gunner. Joseph Palmer appears to have changed his tune about certain elements of what happened, and as the questioning moves on, it's going to become more and more clear that Joseph Palmer had been coached to testify exactly what the prosecution wanted him to testify. Richard Zacks pulls no punches when he calls this Palmer's perjury. Eventually, Captain Kidd was allowed to call witnesses for his defense. Of course, he didn't really have anybody to call. Had there been more than, I don't know, about 12 hours prep time, he may have been able to get somebody on the horn, but... For now, the best he could call up was Abel Owens, the cook 
one of his fellow defendants. Now, Abel Owens wasn't a terrible witness for the defense, as the cook and a black man, and a person who was seen in the parlance of the times as simple or slow, people didn't tend to watch what they said around him, so he had all sorts of information about all sorts of mutinies on board. Whenever Captain Kidd asked him about certain mutinous plots at certain times, he could always say that, yeah, he'd heard the crew talking along those lines. And Captain Kidd would follow up with, okay, so why don't you tell me what they were, but as soon as he was getting close to the point, one of the judges would interject. This line of questioning was not pertinent to the day William Moore was killed. Even if Moore was a ringleader in some supposed mutiny, which often he was, this was not about the mutiny that caused you, allegedly, to kill him. According to those judges, the only pertinent mutinous activity took place on the day William Moore was killed, and it only really counts if William Moore was actually physically violently leading a mutiny. Now, I don't disagree with this. Talk is talk. And to me, free speech matters. If I were to say, you know, I don't like the president, I shouldn't have to worry about being arrested or killed for it. Men on board a ship should not have to worry about being killed for saying they didn't like the captain, or for saying that a captain needed to be replaced. A captain who, let's remember, had failed to actually win these men any money whatsoever, and for whom they were all currently going hungry. Captain Kidd should have been replaced. He was a bad captain. More to the point, though, they were supposedly working on buccaneer rules. Remember, they'd signed that ship's articles way back when they were just leaving America. And under a... and under buccaneer rules, overthrowing the captain through an election process was not a mutiny. That was an accepted practice. So no, I don't think that Captain Kidd was right to kill William Moore for talking about disobeying him, or talking about electing a new captain and going about their business as they saw fit. What Captain Kidd did there, to my mind, was murder. But of course that's me, a free-speech-supporting, liberty-loving, modern American with a penchant for pirates. I think that William Moore was absolutely within his rights, and William Kidd was not. The judges in the trial of Captain Kidd, though, were not, as far as I know, liberty-loving, free-speech-supporting modern Americans. I'm fairly positive that every single one of them would say free speech was not protected. I'm fairly certain that every single one of them would agree that talk of mutiny was cause for any captain in the world to tie one of his men to the mast and beat him until he was dead. That's how you quash a mutiny, right? So, while I may think that the judges are technically correct about certain elements of their argument, it's pretty clear to me that they're quoting ideals of justice to convict a man that would not have been found guilty under almost any other circumstances. Finally, the jury was allowed to retire into their chambers and deliberate the case. The deliberation took an hour, which was an unusually long time for jury trials in the early modern era. 
During that hour, William Kidd's lawyers were busy talking to the prosecution about what Kidd could only assume, hopefully getting him his French passports that he so very needed for his defense. When the jury returned, William Kidd's lawyers walked over to the box. William Kidd was asked to raise his right hand, and the clerk of arraigns turned to the jury and said, quote, Look upon the prisoner. Is he guilty of the murder whereof he stands indicted, or not guilty? The foreman of the jury returned, Guilty. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Napoleon Bonaparte rose from obscurity to become the most powerful and significant figure in modern history. Over 200 years after his death, people are still debating his legacy. He was a man of contradictions, a tyrant and a reformer, a liberator and an oppressor, a revolutionary and a reactionary. His biography reads like a novel, and his influence is almost beyond measure. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast, and every month I delve into the turbulent life and times of one of the greatest characters in history, and explore the world that shaped him in all its glory and tragedy. It's a story of great battles and campaigns, political intrigue, and massive social and economic change, but it's also a story about people populated with remarkable characters. I hope you'll join me as I examine this fascinating era of history. Find The Age of Napoleon wherever you get your podcasts. That's a death sentence in early modern England. They kill you for murder. When William Kidd heard the verdict, he just sat down. He was defeated, crushed. He was doomed. His lawyers, as soon as the verdict was read, well, they quit. They resigned from the case. They just left the courtroom. They knew what was going on, that Captain Kidd was not going to be allowed to walk away from this, and that their position as his counsel was bad for them. So they got out of there. Now this was smart on the part of the prosecution, trying Kidd for murder first. Remember back when Henry Every's men were tried for piracy, and Henry Every himself in absentia? Well, they had that first trial that did not go the way the Crown wanted it to. The pirates got off. They weren't convicted of piracy. It was an embarrassing verdict for the Crown, so they had all record of that trial burned. It was destroyed. We don't know what happened. And then, of course, they had a second trial where they were properly convicted. But they made sure here against Captain Kidd that nothing like that could happen, even if somehow, miraculously, the jury decides that he is not guilty of piracy, they're still going to kill him for murder. The other men who had been members of William Kidd's crew, they were now also left without counsel. 
The three men who belonged to Robert Culliford, they still had lawyers, and they had a separate case to make, and all of that gets taken care of on the side. We'll talk about that next time. Captain Kidd's men were just left kind of rudderless. None of them knew anything about how a trial was supposed to work, so they were just left to defend themselves as best they could. Over the following two days, they would all have opportunities to discuss what they had done and why they had done it. The cabin boys fared the best, including Richard Barleycorn, Captain Kidd's personal servant. They all argued that they were just servants here. They were orphans, all of them in the service of Captain Kidd. I mean, what do you expect us to do here, say no? They were on a ship full of pirates who all hated the other pirates on board. What are three children to do? That argument carried some weight for a while. The other alleged pirates either argued that they had already accepted the king's pardon and shouldn't have to worry about any of this, or they argued that they were merely following Captain Kidd's orders, and remember, big, terrible, vile, whip-wielding monster. None of that was going to work, though. There aren't a lot of revelations in any of this. Mostly, it's just really depressing watching these complete amateurs try to wrangle with men who knew the ins and outs of court procedure. It's like watching lambs get fed to lions. So instead, we're going to focus mostly on Captain Kidd. Most of the rest of the day was taken up with a full account of Captain Kidd's voyage, according to Joseph Palmer and Robert Bradenham. And we've heard most of this already. We talked about all of the big points on which they touch while we talked about Captain Kidd's voyage. According to them, Captain Kidd looked very much like a psychopathic monster who was raping, torturing, and murdering his way around the Indian Ocean. But there are a handful of moments through the rest of that day that really are beyond the pale. The prosecution spent a lot of time focusing on Captain Kidd meeting with Robert Culliford aboard the Mocha. Now that's an event that Captain Kidd maintained did not happen. He never met with Captain Culliford. Remember, in the story we told, Culliford was busy up at his villa in the mountains on the Isle of St. Mary, just whiling away the days while Captain Kidd sat on the ship down in the harbor. This meeting, according to Kidd, never happened. Joseph Palmer, though, painted this meeting as a council between two nefarious pirates, men who were at this point clearly in cahoots. He said, quote, On the quarterdeck they drank together, and Captain Kidd said, Before I would do you any harm, I would have my soul fry in hellfire. And he took the cup and wished that it might be his last, if he did not do Culliford's crew all the good he could. End quote. This is... Richard Zacks in The Pirate Hunter says, quote, Palmer was once again demonstrating his superb knack for recalling dialogue, and this time it was truly superhuman, since he was not with Kidd when the adventure galley encountered Culliford. He was on the Ruparel. End quote. So, Palmer's just lying. He's just making stuff up. That's not true. He is saying what the prosecution wants him to say. And Captain Kidd keeps pointing this out. He's like, 
You don't know what you're talking about. You weren't there. But one of the judges, every time Captain Kidd questions the validity of what the person is saying, or even their ability to know what they're talking about, one of the judges will step in and say, No, we accept that they know what they're talking about, so you shut up. It's infuriating. As the afternoon dragged on, some of Kidd's witnesses began to arrive. Now, according to English law and custom, Captain Kidd should have had about two weeks to prepare those witnesses for trial. Of course, he'd only had a little bit less than 12 hours, but what are you going to do? The first man to arrive was Edward Davis. Now, Edward Davis was a big deal earlier that morning because Kidd kept saying, I need those French passports. They are the linchpin of my defense. The person who is not accused of piracy that can testify to having seen them is Edward Davis. Please allow him to come to court. And Edward Davis, when he arrived and was questioned by Kidd, did indeed say, yes, I saw those French passports. They seemed legitimate to me. Well, then... The judges gave Edward Davis a, a French test. They wanted to see how well he could read the French language. When it was decided that his French was not up to snuff, they just dismissed him and all of his testimony completely. And with that, the judges seemed to be of the opinion that discussion of the French passports was over. They weren't going to talk about any of that anymore. When Captain Kidd began to once again demand that he get these very important documents to his case, Justice Ward said something that I can hardly believe. He said to Captain Kidd, If you had anything of disability upon you to make your defense, you should have objected to it at the beginning of your trial. What you mean by it now, I cannot tell. End quote. Now, I spent about half an episode detailing Captain Kidd, telling the court that he needed those French passports, and every time he did, he was put off by the judges or the clerk of arraign saying, well, you know, that's not really appropriate to talk about right now, we'll get to that later, and now that later is come and he's talking about it, they're saying you should have talked about it back then, which he did! But now it's too late. There's simply nothing to be done. Captain Kidd, when he heard this bit of... Hmm? Here he just stopped engaging. Whenever someone asked him a question, he didn't respond, he didn't look at them, he just stared off into space. There would be a couple of points over the next day and a half that he would respond rather violently to somebody who was very obviously lying. He'd explode at them or he'd make some sort of witty cutting remark, but for the most part, for the next day and a half, he was done. And you know what, so am I. This whole trial is just a farce. Every man, and I say this with confidence, every man involved in the prosecution, including the prosecutorial team and the judges, was a liar, a hypocrite, and a scumbag. Sometime later, Captain Kidd stopped paying attention to how long the jury retired again. They came back much more quickly this time, and once again, they found Captain Kidd guilty of piracy, his first count of piracy. Not that it matters, it's yet another death sentence for Captain Kidd here. And all of it's just so... unjust. Do you... do you guys... do you guys hear that? 
There's a... What is that? I think that's... No, it can't be. No, it... I think it is. That's... That's a link to PardonCaptainKid.com falling into today's episode description. Next time... Why bury the lead here? They're gonna kill him. They're gonna kill Captain Kid. But don't worry. Before they kill him, they have a lot more salt and broken glass to drag him through to really destroy any semblance he had of a shred of dignity or honor. They were really gonna rip him apart before they decided to kill him. And you know what else? I'll just tell you this, too. Captain Culliford? Yeah, they prosecute Captain Kidd for his crimes, and Culliford gets off scot-free. <sighs> so that's great. Everything's great. Yeah, I'll see you next time. PardonCaptainKid.com I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Mostly listening to me freak out this week. I'd also like to thank everybody who has helped to support the show. Everyone who has signed up to become a patron on Patreon, everybody who has recommended this show to your friends or family, and everybody who has left us a like, a rating, or a review, you all help get the show out there and get us noticed. I couldn't do this without all of you. Thank you. Once again, remember to go on over to surveymonkey.com r airwave to take that brief survey. It'll really help support the show. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely should do so. You can find them at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G.com.au. After you're done over there, why not check out our website at piratehistorypodcast.com. As always, most importantly, thank you for listening. Tonight